This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm Kara ong your co-host. I'm Sarah Akers, the Woodson Martin Democracy Fellow at JMU Civic. My name is Mary Tolentino Baez, and I'm a junior at James Madison University. I'm a Woodson Martin Democracy Fellow at the Center for Civic Engagement. This is Abe Goldberg, Director of JMU Civic and faculty member in the Department of Political Science. Joining us for this episode is David Truey, an Associate Professor of Sociology here at James Madison University and author of the new book, Football in the Park, Immigrants, Soccer, and the Creation of Social Ties, published by University of Chicago Press. Thank you so much for joining us, David. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Can you start by sharing what motivated you to study a soccer football park in Los Angeles, California? Yeah, well, I think like a lot of, uh, you know, academic projects, it's a mix of personal and professional. So, uh, you know, personally, I played soccer uh, my whole life and I've always been very kind of intrigued by kind of the, the, the game's ability to provoke such strong emotions, uh, you know, deep friendships, and, uh, you know, in ways that sometimes transcend, but also reinforce social boundaries. So I've always had a real personal interest in the game, which I still try to continue to play. And, uh, but also, uh, you know, professionally, uh, you know, it, it looking at, you know, the, my, the migration literature, uh, you know, the, the importance of the game is hinted at, uh, talked about a little bit, but it hasn't really been centrally uh, a central focus of, of a lot of uh, research in, in immigration. And uh, so I was hoping to uh, kind of bring that into the migration uh, scholarship. So as, as I mentioned, uh, you know, soccer is often hinted in migration literature and talked about, but it hasn't really been a, a central focus uh, of study in a, in a lot of migration uh, research. Uh, it's seen as kind of frivolous or secondary uh, and and also I think for a lot of you know city uh, city residents uh, Latino men playing pickup soccer is a ubiquitous scene it's something people are very familiar with but most people only really know it from afar and usually see it through the prism of their own stereotypes and uh, and I think I kind of had this same almost experience in terms of how I ended up doing this project uh, so I was a first-year graduate student and um, you know, I was still interested in soccer, but, you know, well, maybe I should study bigger issues, you know, urban, you know, relations, neighborhood, politics. And uh, my professor came into class one day with a flyer that he had received on his car. And on the flyer, which is reproduced in the book, it's basically a list of all of their complaints about noise, traffic, uh, vi- you know, drinking he refers to kind of wild west atmosphere uh, about the soccer field and my professor lived in the neighborhood surrounding the field and he said i don't know much about this but this looks fascinating and uh so we needed a project uh you know and uh you had a week to figure it out so i so i decided to go check out this neighborhood and uh while I did not see, you know, angry neighborhoods, uh, sorry, angry neighbors, you know, all, you know, walking around the field by any means, uh, I, I quickly learned about the pickup soccer game. Some people were playing. They said, well, if you really want to see, you know, a good game, come at the midday to this game. And uh, so the next day I decided to check out the game and uh, very quickly my interest shifted from the neighbors to the soccer game. And uh, and this was the story I kind of wanted to tell. Now, the neighborhood was always part of it. There's, you know, I I write about it, 
but my own interest quickly gravitated towards uh, this vibrant pickup game and the, the social world that kind of surrounded it. So in the book, you detail the norms and orders that are set by the football organizers and players with a great deal of attention to social hierarchies and the tensions of insiders versus outsiders. What does football in the park help us understand about the immigrant experience and the importance of the formation of social ties? Yeah, um, so so thank you. I mean, I I think uh, one of the key kind of findings in migration literature is the significance of social ties and how important they are to kind of explain how so many immigrants kind of, you know, get by, but in many cases get ahead uh, in the, in, you know, in this country and other places, despite, you know, a lack of certain, you know, resources. Um, And, um, you know, I, I wanted to, um, but I, at the same time, I often find that, uh, you know, these social ties are often taken for granted or assume that they exist, um, you know, so people from Mexico must interact because they're from Mexico. And, uh, you know, I wanted to highlight uh, the, the, the formation of social ties as this dynamic process, something that happens over time. And uh, specifically, I wanted to highlight the role of soccer and public parks. Uh, in the development of social ties, friendships, which then leads to, uh, you know, uh, uh, different kind of opportunities, exchange of resources. And um, so, so that was the one thing. I really wanted to highlight the role of uh, uh, playing soccer in public parks in this process that is, I felt often uh, taken for granted in terms of how relationships are formed. Uh, now, in terms of understanding the immigrant experience, uh, I also wanted to really highlight how it's this really kind of dynamic that lives uh, uh, process and experience and uh, you know that immigrants face constraints but they also you know exhibit a lot of creativity and uh, coordination in 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 getting by and uh, and soccer again and public parks is is really richly meaningful in this experience of immigration. David you also emphasize the role that race plays especially in the use of the park for football and how the football players are surveilled and policed especially relative to the tennis courts and basketball courts. What does football in the park reveal about racial and class hierarchies in American society and the control of public spaces? Yeah, no, that's that's a, a key question. And, and I think this really reveals a central kind of tension of immigration in, in uh, the United States and elsewhere. Uh, and, and really reveals how immigrants are you know, often welcomed as workers. And so in the neighborhoods surrounding the park, it was full of Latino men and women working. Uh, and they were, they were central to kind of the livelihoods and uh, uh, of, the, of the neighbors of the park. Uh, but they weren't welcomed as people in the same way in, um, in the park. All right, so again, and this is a central longstanding tension in this country. And uh, so not welcomed as people in certain places, uh, for example, parks and doing certain activities, playing soccer, and socializing uh, and, and that was really kind of one of the central tensions uh, that I was able to reveal and, uh, and in the book I, uh, I I talk about how you know the new field artificial turf soccer field was built in this park and, and it attracted a lot of Latino uh, men who wanted to play soccer who gravitated to it because there was not a lot of spaces like that that were open to the public in Los Angeles at the time and, uh, and some of the neighbors were upset about all of this activity and organized to build a fence and to, to try to place some restrictions on the park, uh, on the use of the fields. And, uh, and, it, and it really revealed 
revealed a lot of, and this was on the west side of Los Angeles, which is often seen as very liberal, but really revealed uh, some of the tensions, uh, not just about immigration, but about the use of public space. And, um, you know, for a lot of the neighbors, the, you know, the, the action on the field was seen as unruly and even dangerous, even though, as you mentioned in the question, the tennis courts were full of activity even at night, but really all of the neighbors' focus became on the soccer field, um, which again was revealing of some of these tensions um, around immigration and specifically the presence of Latino men in public. Um, and, um, you know, and then also internally, some of these hierarchies were revealed is that uh, the men really, in, you know, this was a fun place to be. It was a place to be with others, kind of enrich their lives, but it also presented some, some risk to them as well. Sometimes it could lead to, you know, maybe too much drinking. It could keep them from doing other things. Um, it could occasionally lead to some fights and other problems, uh, but they also needed the park. Uh, you know, uh, as this rich part of their lives. So they were also dealing with some of these dilemmas of public space that the neighbors were dealing, but in a more kind of uh, internal to the scene. What did you learn from the men and their experiences with immigration that the media and other narratives miss? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's another great question. And I think, uh, you know, I tried from the best of my abilities uh, to kind of study these men as honestly as possible as, as kind of full, complex human beings, which is not always the narrative we get in media and elsewhere. It's also often very one-dimensional uh, for, for a lot of groups that are studied, but are particularly Latino immigrant men as either kind of these, I write about the book, you know, as these kind of sinners, this Latino threat, or at the same time, you know, as these kind of saints, hard workers, um, and it's usually one or the others. And, uh, and I don't really feel that these men necessarily need our sympathy or our scorn, but just to be treated as, as full, complex people that enjoy doing things that everybody enjoys doing, which, you know, presents the ups and downs of everyday life. And, uh, you know, so my book tries to capture that complex humanity that, that we often don't see in the media, uh, in, you know, in particular, I find for Latino immigrant men. Uh, so even like Latino immigrant women are often covered in a more complex way often than, than I find that the Latino men are. David, I wanted to ask a follow up. I wonder if you could explain why and how Latinos, Latinas and Latine might be covered differently in the immigrant literature. Yeah, so I think that's a good question. I, I think if I if I focus on the immigration literature, um, that's where I'm drawing that that contrast from. Is that uh, and maybe this is in terms of who's doing the research, but but Latina immigrant women, Latina immigrants are often kind of covered as as more complex, looked at as women, uh, mothers, as workers, as community members, in a way that I have found in the literature uh, less so with uh, Latino immigrant men. And uh, that might be because uh, Latino immigrants are, are viewed as more of a threat, as more menacing. And this is often we talk about the Latino threat narrative uh, in a way that maybe doesn't apply in the same way to Latina immigrants, uh, even though the the narratives surrounding Latin immigrants uh, are also complicated and problematic as well. Have you spoken to any of the men since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic? How did the pandemic affect the communities the park serves? Yeah, so I've spoken a little bit and, you know, what am I, this book took a long time to write and finish and uh, it was often uh, a point of kind of uh, almost suspicion amongst the men uh, of this so-called book. And uh, so one of my, you know, 
dreams was to return to the park with the book. Uh, and now the book exists. It's real. But I have, because of the pandemic, not been able to uh, make it back to the park. And I'd like to go back with my, my family who also kind of, you know, my kids were born during field work and really want to bring them back to the park because they also developed relationships. So unfortunately, I have not been back, but I have been able to communicate and let them know about the book. Some of the men have sent me photos holding the book in the park, which has been which has really meant a lot. Um, but, you know, in these conversation, I've learned like here and elsewhere that the pandemic has really, you know, disrupted their ability to gather in public and the, the field has been shut down. The parks have been shut down and uh, which is just kind of further revealing uh, of its significance, because when this park is taken out of their lives and their ability to congregate, it's, it's been a huge challenge for the men. And it's 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 been very difficult and hard. Uh, you know, to live their lives when they, this this space has been taken away from them. Um, so again, reinforcing its significance. Um, but you know, as I as I write in the book, I mean, the pandemic. I don't write about the the pandemic. Kind of happened after. Uh, but I also there's a lot of other threats the men are facing to to continue to congregate and use this space. Uh, so gentrification. A lot of the men have been pushed out of this neighborhood. And many still, you know, a lot have moved to other parts of LA and still return. But that's becoming more and more difficult. Uh, and and of course, you know, right now the the field remains public and accessible. But there's increasing permitting. There's increasing fencing. There's a growing restrictions uh, and assaults really on public space, which is even, you know, uh, a greater threat uh, to their use of it. And, um, you know, West L.A. is a little different than other parts of the country. But, you know, especially during the Trump presidency, there was this growing kind of anti-immigrant kind of sentiment that was playing out even in places like West Los Angeles. Um, and, And finally, you know, in terms of changes, you know, some of the the, the younger, especially the children uh, that, that are now young men, uh, you know, the, the park means they still play, but, you know, they have other opportunities elsewhere. So the, the meaning of this park is kind of changing as well as this new generation of players come in and use it. David, you spoke to this a little bit at the beginning of this conversation, but I wonder if you can flesh out the value of social ties. Mm-hmm. This, the, the experience of playing soccer together is more than just about that time spent, right? There's value that goes beyond mm-hmm. the, the, the actual length of the game. Why is it important to understand social ties? What's the value of a social tie? Yeah, so uh, the value of the social tie and in sociology, we often talk about social capital, uh, the resources that kind of, you know, inhere or are part of your social relationships. Uh, So through the park, the men were able to develop these social ties. And uh, what's important is many of most of the men met as strangers in the park, uh, which is you know, important because the, the park was a space for them to build these relationships. And uh, and then through this, you know, the, the, the usual kind of benefits of friendship and, you know, a sense of reputation and identity, uh, all these kind of, uh, you know, emotional, social um, um, resources, but more concretely, uh, and there's a whole chapter on this, I could find how the relationships built in the park then led to employment opportunities. Uh, so many of the men worked in uh, 
kind of small scale construction or restaurant uh, work. And often what I found is the men would hire and refer each other for jobs. Uh, but this didn't happen day one. You know, it happened after they, they got to know each other. They were able to build trust, a sense of friendship, camaraderie. And then through that, these other um, opportunities emerged. So when new regulations were implemented, permitting, fencing, um, attitudinal changes, what can happen to those employment opportunities that build over time and what can happen to the emotional and social value that, that a park and a game of soccer can bring? Yeah, and that's kind of the, the, the big fear is when, when people uh, lose these spaces. And many of these men lived in a, in a world of limited opportunities. They did not have big backyards. They were not members of club, private clubs. Uh, they also didn't always, uh, one, feel comfortable or have the disposable income to gather in bars and other kind of commercial establishments. And when they don't have these spaces to gather, uh, they are unable to build uh, these type of relationships. So, so you're really, I mean, a, a city, any city can do damage to the identity of residents by inhibiting opportunities for people to gather in public spaces. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I know this is about, you know, strengthening democracy. And I think this is uh, public space is central to, uh, uh, to, to a vibrant, uh, equitable uh, democracy. There's something important about not only having the space accessible, but there's something really important about informal, more spontaneous play uh, that is that that is taken away when everything is organized from some kind of um, uh, broader. Um, you know, organizational uh, system. And uh, what was really important to, to this space, it's pick up soccer and formal play, is that the men were creating the game. Uh, the men were kind of uh, in charge of figuring this out. And, uh, and it is through that process that they build a sense of self, they establish reputations, and they develop friendships in a way that, so I played a lot of league soccer, and it's, league soccer is, is, is very, you know, meaningful and important, uh, but you lose some of that coordination an organization uh, when it's more formalized. It, it, so it's as if democratic norms are being developed and cultivated by these games. Yes, when when the the participants themselves are are are, are left to figure it out on their own, and uh, and you know another kind of central uh, um, kind of finding is that you know having fun in public. Uh, is an accomplishment. It doesn't happen automatically. It's something that people need to work together to create. And, uh, you know, has its ups and downs. Uh, it has, you talked earlier about insiders and outsiders. Uh, but that was what was so meaningful about the space is that these men were creating it. As spaces are being taken away, what justice or recourse did the, the players have? Yeah, well, one of so there was a big kind of debate uh, about the fencing of the field and other restrictions, and uh, and this played out in community meetings, uh, different kind of forums, and uh, unfortunately, what I saw is that the the Latino immigrant men who were the focus of a lot of the neighbors' cons uh, concerns were actively uh, you know pushed out of participating in this and actively not welcomed uh, in these spaces, and many of the men themselves did not feel comfortable. Uh, so a lot of these debates played out uh, without their participation. Uh, now, they had some advocates speaking on their behalf, uh, but they, too, kind of 
we're at a distance of them as well. And uh, so that was one of the also problems I saw is that uh, these men were not part of this process in any um, you know active way. And most of the people that spoke about them, whether in favor or against, imagine them from a distance. And uh, my book, in a way, is an attempt to kind of, you know, uh, you know, show kind of uh, what this world kind of looks like to to so many people that see it from afar. Can you tell us a little bit about how does the ethnographic research gives us insight into subjects that other methods of studies cannot give us insight in? Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm an ethnographer, and that involves kind of, you know, deep uh, engagement, participant observation in the, in the lives of people as they go about their everyday lives. So it's a lot of close uh, personal contact. Sometimes it's involved jokes with people in my life about just playing soccer and drinking beer all day. But nonetheless, it's about, um, you know, uh, following people as they go about their, about their lives. And, uh, and I think this, you know, again, not to other methods certainly present their own advantages and disadvantages. But one big advantage of this is I could is I could, you know, see how people uh, uh, live their lives in the park um, over time. And uh, I could also help differentiate between what people say, which is more kind of through interviews and actually what they do um, in the moment. And, uh, you know, it also helped to, by spending so much time with these men, both in the park and elsewhere, I could really kind of contextualize the things I were seeing versus just a one-off visit. Um, so I could say, you know, how people acted in one situation at the park versus another. Uh, but probably most crucially, it was spending a lot of the time in the park, but also following the men elsewhere in bars, which were far less welcoming and uh, hospitable spaces, uh, but also following the men at work to see how park ties translated into work ties um, was crucial to, to, to coming to the conclusions that I, that I arrived at. Uh, that you know, an interview or a survey study, uh, you know, presents important findings, but wouldn't have presented this, in my opinion, this kind of complex, co comprehensive portrait of the men. With that being said, have you thought about how maybe like your presence with the men uh, might have impacted like the behavior that you were recording? Yeah, this is this is always a concern, and uh, there's no real way around it. Uh, you know, uh, I am part of this scene in some way. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna impact it. I'm also, you know, as a white man, kind of different than most of the men who are primarily Latino. But there are also other whites that came. That was kind of what was great about the soccer. Is it brought, you know, different uh, different peoples together, uh, but. Of course, you know, I'm going to kind of impact it. They knew I was very forthright, and I think most ethnographers about that I was conducting research, uh, and, uh, and often I would do interviews. So, so they knew that I was doing the book. And again, it became more source of, you know, humor. Uh, put that in your book. When are you going to finish your book? Um, but, but at the same time, I think if that's the other value of ethnography, uh, is when you spend a lot of time in a place, one, people kind of get used to you, they also kind of almost forget in a way, um, but also, you know, pat sociologists were interested in patterns, things that kind of reoccur. And um, if you spend enough time, they will they will emerge, you know, uh, over time, whether you're there uh, or not. And um, so I wasn't too concerned, uh, but I faced a lot of, you know, 
I guess you could call them ethical quandaries of when to get involved, mm -hmm. when to intervene, whether it's lending money or helping to break up a fight or dealing with the police. And usually I erred on the side of my humanity as a fellow human being than on the side of, you know, this, this uh, kind of ethnographer. Mm -hmm. uh, but these are, again, there's lots of trade-offs. I was always wrestling with this. And, um, you know, and, and I tried to, you know, do what was best in that situation. And uh, I also, what was important is, you know, because I was in this space, a lot of the the dilemmas I was facing, like I don't feel like drinking, but you know, I'm being offered a beer or I should be, you know, studying, but I'm in the park. Um, you know, my partner's not happy that I'm necessarily here. A lot of the dilemmas I was dealing with, the men were dealing with as well, despite our, you know, social differences. Uh, so that was also kind of important for me to experience firsthand. And also a lot of the privileges I experienced in this space as a white man. So I talk about in the book, um, a lot of the men received drinking citations, tickets, and uh, I was often ignored by the police and, uh, wow. you know, uh, in all my years, I received one ticket, but it was never even processed because I think the police officer was worried I was going to contest it. Um, and I was pretty much ignored, as I mentioned. And the men, the Latino men, often you know, encourage me to deal with the police because they knew that it would, be, it would, it would run much smoother. Uh, so that, again, yes, that impacted the field site. Yes, it kind of some would say contaminated it, but it also led to some great insights about this space as well. And, and ethnographers were always dealing with these uh, these trade-offs. So you kind of like already did touch on what I was gonna ask you next about like the trade-off and if you thought about any concerns that you might've had about sharing some of these like intimate moments with um, like the world by putting them in your book? Yeah, no, this was uh, probably I was much more concerned about this because I because I am writing about, you know, some could say somewhat sensitive topics, soccer to some extent, but much more. I focus on drinking and fighting. Uh, right. th these are very, uh, you know, uh, sensitive topics that 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 could further demonize and stigmatize the men. So this is something I was very, very concerned with. And again, this was a long process and I've wrestled and had a lot of conversations with people about it. And uh, so I kind of, uh, you know, because I do write about these topics, uh, my, my reasoning was that one, I tried to be as honest as possible. And this is kind of what I observed, uh, you know, and I think it was important to, you know, give the same complexity to other groups, uh, to these men that, yes, sometimes swear, sometimes make crude jokes, sometimes over drink, sometimes fight. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people do this, you know, and to not write honestly, to, in my opinion, was more insulting in a way because you know we write about white college students as over drinking and you know uh socializing or you know in country clubs people doing this and uh, and i think it's important to offer this same kind of uh complex honesty even if it if it maybe looks uh, could be seen as stigmatizing um but probably even more importantly, I try to take these are the very activities that are used to stigmatize Latino immigrant men, the drinking and the fighting and the soccer to maybe to a lesser extent, but to show the, the meaning, the order, the context and the significance of these very activities that are used to stigmatize them. Uh, you know, so like drinking as a way to kind of bond, but also to show how these men, despite the neighbor's complaints, 
didn't have other spaces to do these important activities. Um, even fighting, uh, you know, could provide a sense of kind of moral order in this space uh, that the outside observer didn't couldn't necessarily see. All they would see is just two Latino men fighting and not really understand kind of the the meaning and the order of of these occasional again very occasional fights. The drinking was not occasional, but the fighting was. <laughs> but I thought it was important to, uh, to to write a chapter about it. But absolutely, I wrestled with a lot of these uh, these concerns. And you know, Trump uh, came after I left the park for the for kind of the, the more serious field work. Uh, but that added, of course, some greater urgency. Uh, and finally, I will say that, you know, I was, there's a lot of other things I could have added in the book, but if they felt kind of gratuitous, if they felt like overly sensational, a lot of that stuff, I, it didn't, you know, everything I use kind of, in my opinion, hopefully had kind of a reason. Uh, and it wasn't just put in there to kind of titillate the re readers in a sense, because I am very, was very concerned about this. And, uh, and I did, you know, not really focus on legal status. Um, one, because I named the park and I didn't want to, you know, identify individuals. Uh, but also it was something that wasn't really central to the story I was trying to tell in this. Uh, but more so for fears, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. of putting someone in harm in any way. So, so that, a lot of that stuff was not included in the book. David Truy, Associate Professor of Sociology at JMU. We asked this question of all of our guests. What would you do to strengthen democracy? No, wonderful question. And uh, I think based on this book, uh, I really think that democracy is strengthened by having these vibrant public spaces that people can gather, uh, you know, informally and uh, meet new people, uh, strengthen ties, uh, you know, speak about issues relevant to democracy, but also just to, to, to have a good time to, uh, to kind of feel anchored uh, in certain spaces. And, uh, you know, we should really encourage the development of these spaces and not, be, not diminish them, not be scared by them, and uh, to really embrace these public spaces, whether it's on JMU's campus, uh, Greater Harrisonburg, uh, and beyond. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin, JMU Civics Communications Specialist. Randy Bednikus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu civic. Until next time.